from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The Archdiocese of Los Angeles is mourning the loss of Bishop David O'Connell, who was shot and killed two weeks ago. He has been remembered as a shepherd who knew the smell of his sheep and who tirelessly served the community. Senior editor Joan Frawley Desmond, who has covered the story, joins us on Register Radio. Then Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' executive editor, and I have an editor's corner that highlights news of the first anniversary of the Ukrainian-Russian war and the Vatican's latest communication on the traditional Latin mass, as well as a feature on six American black Catholics who are on the road to sainthood. I'm Jeanette Mello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio. Today, sadly, we remember Bishop David O'Connell, who was laid to rest in Los Angeles yesterday. The Archdiocese has been mourning this shepherd, who was an advocate for the poor, the immigrant, and the unborn, and who we know as a deep apostle of prayer. Tragically, the late auxiliary bishop was shot and killed in his home uh, a week and a half ago. Joan Desmond, who reports from San Francisco, California, is and is originally from Los Angeles, has covered this story for the Register. She joins us now. Welcome, Joan. Hi, Jeanette. It's just been such a tragedy. All of us were kind of jolted uh, that, that Saturday that we heard this news. And, of course, Joan, we didn't know right away um, uh, you know, who, um, had, had committed this crime. Um, eventually it was uncovered and someone is in custody and charged. What do we know now about the suspect who's been charged with murder? Yeah. His name is Carlos Medina, the 61 year old's husband, a Bishop O'Connell's housekeeper. And he's been charged with his murder, uh, reportedly five gunshot wounds were involved at least. Um, He was known to the bishop and the bishop's friends. I understand from some of the bishop's friends that the bishop may have helped him in the past or other friends of the bishop helped him. Local law enforcement had received a tip that Medina was acting strangely and talking strangely after the bishop's death. More recently, he has confessed after his arrest to the murder. There's still questions about motivation. He has offered different reasons, such as the bishop owed him money. Uh, investigators say that this is, they really doubt that this was the motivation. They're not sure. I also saw the LA Times has since reported there were uh, there were reports that maybe he was in, had, sorry, I have since learned that the LA Times said he may have returned to some previous drug use. He had a number of drug offenses on his record. So there's a lot we still don't know. So Joan, yes, it is it is such a tragedy. It's it, it was unknown at the very beginning, you know, what uh, could this be some other member of the community because he was really involved um, in tough communities. I mean, he helped immigrants. Um, I, I understand that he even um, reached out to gangs and, and really tried to be a person of peace um, and a helper in, in very tough communities. As you talk to people to better understand his life and his legacy there in Los Angeles, what has stood out um, from the people, from the conversations you've had? 
Well, he was a man of prayer and a social justice activist who helped, as you said, undocumented immigrants, uh, tough you know, neighborhoods undergoing a lot of violence. Uh, he took part in pro-life prayer vigils at Planned Parenthood clinics, and he had close ties to the Board of Supervisors. In other words, he really couldn't be easily categorized. Uh, yeah, so e easy categorized as, um, y you know, a right or left, you know, helping helping the immigrant but forgetting the unborn. And, and that's, a, I think, an important distinction. Um, I, we have in the editorial, uh, in the upcoming print edition, a commentary that makes that point. Um, and it's, it's something, Joan, that you and I have, uh, well, not just you and I, but our, our editors at the Register have talked about in, in some of our daily mi uh, meetings is just is just that he was a both and <laughs> um, Catholic. Um, elaborate a bit more on that understanding of of this this bishop, truly knowing, as Francis says, the smell of the sheep, uh, but but also not being e easily categorized, as you said. I think what really uh, came home to me was first, you know, when he first came to Los Angeles, and of course he was Irish born. Uh, and he arrived here, and he was in Downey, um, a suburban parish. Then he moved to the rougher parts of South L.A., and in the course of time, he became a peacemaker during the L.A. riots following the beating of Rodney King. Uh, he was known to sort of de-escalate tensions between police and neighborhoods that felt like the police were not treating people justly or that they were being unfairly targeted by law enforcement. Um, but And, of course, he was deeply involved in immigration issues. One of the most touching parts of his ministry, Jeanette, is a very deep and broad interest in young people, undocumented uh, immigrants more recently, which has been a huge issue across the U.S., but also just children on the margins, children in foster care, children in poor families that needed help. He would help these kids get into Catholic schools and in the process stabilize the local Catholic school and stabilize the child and help them get an education. And I've heard from people who were who benefited from his his generosity, personal generosity. I mean, he was paying often the tuition or at least part of the tuition himself. But along with that was pro-life vigils with 40 days for life. He was known as just a, a prayer warrior, warrior extraordinaire. He prayed all the four mysteries of the rosary daily, and not only did that personally, but also would speak to people about mm -hmm. that, said to friends, I need to help kids, I need to help people draw closer to the Lord and His Blessed Mother. Yeah, and Joan, there's also in, in his experience a uh, healing prayer. What was that about? Yeah, that's one of the most interesting uh, stories I've heard as a journalist recently about a bishop. So what happened was is that the bishop had had bouts of depression on and off in his life and as he was a priest. And he didn't talk a lot about it, but people who knew him very well knew about it. And um, at one point, 
sometime before he became a bishop, which happened in 2015, a priest friend gave him Neil Lozano's book called Unbound, which is about the power of prayer to kind of loosen the shackles of sin, but also a personal trauma. There was some personal trauma in his life dating back to his mother, who found her mother's lifeless body from suicide. And he came to believe that the depression his mother carried had also been passed on to him. And some of like the sins of the fathers or the sins of the mothers, maybe. And whatever the case may be, he, he struggled with that. And so he underwent this deliverance prayer and was completely lifted of the depression and then became an apostle, not only of prayer, but also of this idea of deliverance ministry where you can help others loosen those shackles. And of course, he was dealing with people on the margins who often have multiple traumas, you know, abuse in their background, drug addiction, addicted parents. So they needed this, but, and he was trying to get his priest, once he was a bishop, to also explore this. And since then, I've learned that there's a Catholic version. This was a more you know, broadly Christian uh, approach through Lozano's ministry. But there's also an effort now to have an explicitly Catholic version of this deliverance ministry, which I think could be really exciting for people to have that option. Uh, and I am somewhat familiar with Unbound and, and have heard a lot about that, have read the book and, and all of that. So it, I, I, I find it very interesting myself and, and um, that piqued my interest as well, Joan. You know, your story, which is titled Slain L.A. Bishop Dave, remembered as a humble man of action who wanted people to encounter Christ's healing love. Uh, it's a perfect uh, kind of segue from what we were just talking about to refer our, our listeners to that story online. It's a it's a really good read, and and you talk uh, uh, with people who describe um, Bishop Dave um, in very very personal terms. You know, friends really, and they say that he was a man who made people laugh, but he was also a man um, who shared people's sorrows. He was he was easy to laugh and and could easily cry and express his own emotion. Um, what were some of those stories that you can remember? Well, I think the most important story by far, which some people had, had known about before, is 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 when he was, um, it was just about the time of the McCarrick abuse scandal. And he was very active in charismatic renewal. They had a huge meeting at the, at the Anaheim Convention Center. And so first they had mass and lots of people were there. Then they brought out the, the Eucharist for adoration. And when he went up there to pray and started to petition our Lord, uh, for you know, for intercessionary, uh, for intercession, on behalf of all the needs of the faithful, that included, of course, the terrible trauma uh, experienced by victims of clergy abuse. And as he started to do this and ask our Lord's forgiveness for the failure of Catholic shepherds to protect their flock, he began to sob, and he sobbed and he sobbed. Anthony Lillis, a professor of spirituality at St. Patrick's Seminary near here, told me he was present at the time, and he said he personally felt it was the most powerful and compelling example of a church leader 
truly expressing forgiveness for the scourge of abuse and has never forgotten it. And many other people mentioned this to Anthony Lillis and to others, that this was the first moment of healing they experienced at this mm. event. What an important thing, to coming from a bishop, uh, that, that show of emotion and, um, and sorrow. Um, it's a diocese, uh, archdiocese suffering right now. Um, Archbishop Gomez, Jose Gomez, um, uh, who leads the diocese, broke down in tears um, over this at a press conference. Uh, it certainly is is very heavy. Uh, Joan, I understand now there's only one auxiliary or helper bishop in that diocese, and it's one of the hugest dioceses in the country. Is that right? Yes, it's. I mean, it's vast geographical distances. I can speak as a former Los Angelino. You know, it used to be something was 15 minutes away. It was really 15 minutes away with no traffic. Then it was half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour away. So it's not only how many people who need to be helped in the largest archdiocese of the country, but the distances that need to be covered that also take a lot of time. So yes, there is only one active auxiliary bishop right now. Let's not forget recently Bishop Barron um, was given another post. He was up in Santa Barbara, which is some distance from Los Angeles. Another bishop, Brennan, has gone to Fresno. Uh, there's a there's a bishop, Trudeau, who is still there. Another bishop um, had a suffered a stroke and is still recovering, so it's going to be a while before he comes back. I was looking as I heard about this. There are other dioceses much smaller that you know have multiple, like three or four or even more uh, auxiliary mm -hmm. bishops. So it's a big issue for Bishop um, for Archbishop, Archbishop Gomez Bill. right now. But let me just say, Jeanette, I do want to leave some leave our readers with a little bit of a, a, a some laughs too because this was a man of laughter and I'm sure that Archbishop Gomez who is who is grieving his departure will also be will will be made you know will feel better remembering the laughter too my favorite story is when um, the bishop told a joke on himself which was more of mm -hmm. you know self-deprecating wit than actual fact but he said uh, he compared himself with Bishop Barham, who's known as a very erudite prelate and has written multiple books. He said, he's written 15 books. I haven't read 15 books. So it was just a great line to be kind of in the shadow with such a big presence like uh, Bishop Barron and be completely unconcerned and turn it into a joke. And I would just say to our audience today, you know, let's use him as an example right now. You asked me earlier about, you know, the, the categories, the ways that we categorize our shepherds or even our fellow Catholics. He really, you know, transcended categories. And that's a great message for us at Lent as we think about just some of the different ministries he was involved in that we could get involved in. Absolutely, Joan. I couldn't agree with you more. That's a great reminder for Lent and, and our editorial at ncregister.com um, encourages people to kind of look at, at Bishop O'Connell this way, but, but also um, learn from him. Uh, so we pray for uh, Bishop David O'Connell's uh, peaceful repose, his eternal repose, and we pray for all of the Catholics there in Los Angeles who are suffering at the loss of a shepherd. When we come back, Matthew and I will discuss news and features from this week in an editor's corner. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. 
For nearly a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the Register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette Mello, the Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' Executive Editor, and my co-host, Matthew, this has been a difficult show. We've got a lot of negative news, which just, I don't know, just seems to be the constant case lately. Um, Talking about uh, Bishop O'Connell, a very sad story. Um, But we've got other uh, tragic stories to talk about in this editor's corner. Yeah, we do. Uh, Starting, of course, with Ukraine. I mean, this has been uh, a year now since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the, the toll that is now piling up is, is manifest for anyone to see. And I think one of right. the points that's often made is that we have to look at the material damage, but we also have to look at the human and especially the spiritual damage. Right. I mean, we are talking about a loss in Russian and Ukrainian soldiers that is as high as 200,000 soldiers. And, and in terms of civilian lives lost, and these are Ukrainian civilians, as reported by the UN, it's, it's, as, it's more than 20,000 uh, Ukrainians killed or wounded. Um, that is just a staggering loss of life. Uh, but when we when it comes to the economy and infra- infrastructure of the country, it's even more. I think I I read this week 15 million people have left the country, um, which you you kind of wonder how there's a country left. Um, right. But or or displaced internally, which is also creating even more stress on the Ukrainian infrastructure. Right, and you know we've read about. Um, beautiful outpourings of support in the neighboring uh, countries, Uh, Poland especially, where uh, they have welcomed in so many immigrants or or, or refugees. Um, We've heard of of people like the Knights of Columbus, organizations like the Knights of Columbus, who have just um, uh, poured out help, uh, and all of that must continue. Um, but, But really, Matthew, as you mentioned, this is not just the physical toll. I mean, one of the things that happens <laughs> when there's tragedy is people often do turn to the church. Um, as we saw with the Bishop uh, David O'Connell story, you know, um, the communities have been praying ever since that tragedy happened uh, together in a nearby church near the bishop's house. Um, but but here, the, the Ukrainian people, um, they don't even have one one faith, if you will, to turn to, or, or one united church? Uh, what's the, the toll uh, spiritually? Well, the toll spiritually uh, comes from a, 
a number of different directions. First, we were talking about the 100,000 Ukrainian casualties, the two, potentially 200,000 Russian casualties. That's a casualty. Every casualty that we're hearing about, either killed in action or wounded, is a family somewhere that has, that has been affected by this. So there's that spiritual toll. Then we have the material destruction, the loss of life of family and friends, of loved ones. And then we have the wholesale destruction of churches and shrines. Uh, and then we have the, the, the added spiritual toll of the divisions that this war has caused. Ecumenically, it has complicated severely uh, the Catholic Church's outreach to the Orthodox Churches, the Russian Patriarchate in particular. It has also bitterly divided, some have argued even perhaps broken, uh, the perceived sense of unity among the Orthodox churches around the world. You now have the struggle between the Ukrainian Orthodox and the Russian Orthodox, and you have in this mix also the Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople. So all of these divisions are creating even more spiritual hardships for people who have seemingly nowhere to turn. But we're also seeing, as, as you noted, that so many are coming to the church, especially uh, the, the Byzantine Greek Catholic Church in Ukraine. Uh, and its head of uh, the Ukrainian Greek Catholics is uh, Major Archbishop Sviatoslav Shevchuk, who has been, I think, one of the heroes uh, in this last year in speaking out, but really standing to bring people together to help spiritually and materially. That's right. And um, CNA has a story on that, the Ukrainian Catholic leader on the anniversary of war, we need spiritual strength. And I, I really think he's calling on all of us um, to, to pray, to continue to pray um, for this tragedy and all those involved and, and for a, a peaceful resolution. Uh, Matthew, on that front, do you have any, um, I guess, roundup of, of what's happening now? Um, in, in, is there any stock in, in a solution? Well, there's certainly uh, efforts on the part of the EU to try to come to some sort of a settlement. Uh, the, the problem is that uh, Ukrainians are doing so well in the battlefield uh, that, uh, let's just say, understandably, they are disincentivized uh, to try to find an immediate ceasefire to this because they, they see this as an opportunity not just to defeat the Russians, but also to recapture so much of Ukraine that has been seized by the Russian army. And then, of course, we have in a figure like Vladimir Putin, somebody who is going to be very reluctant to come to the negotiating table. And so this is an impasse. Plus, uh, we're seeing, I think, uh, in, in many ways, diplomatically, a certain lack of resolve on this front. But it doesn't mean that there aren't these very powerful voices out there. One of the strongest in the last months has been Pope Francis. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. And he has, he has even cried. You know, we, we've seen him weep over this war. So... We join him uh, this Lent and just praying, continuing to pray uh, for this uh, this very serious situation and, and for the people involved. I want to invite listeners to go to ncregister.com and read our publisher, Michael Warsaw's publisher's note on this. It's called Ukraine's Intense Suffering. Matthew, I, I turn to uh, the U.S. front now. Um, 
some some news that has come. It's if you go to the registers website, you can always look and see what people are interested in. Uh, sometimes it's super newsworthy things, um, news stories, and sometimes it's features. It's kind of fun to look at the trending <laughs> section of our website. It's, but it's one of the places I go to every time I go to the site. It's, a, it's the first thing I look at, to be honest, because yeah, it's so a lot of people to know will what, tell our, me what that. our viewers and our readers love. Exactly. That's, uh, people will will write me and say this was trending at the register, and you know whatever. It's it's really good to hear. Um, but right now, there's one thing um, that is trending. It's a news story by CNA, and that is that uh, it's on the, the Equal Rights Amendment. It's, it's back in the news. What, what is happening? <laughs> Who would have imagined uh, that uh, the failed effort uh, to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, which is... Over and over again. <laughs> what everyone assumed was this relic long dead from the 70s, uh, is being revived. But for those who think that this is, has much to do with the original ERA, as sort of radical as it was back in the 70s, you can't imagine what's in this. And it's for that reason that uh, the U.S. bishops, I think, have uh, really come out uh, swinging uh, that this poses severe challenges, uh, not just to religious liberty, but also to the very definition of family and motherhood and other things. So they are saying that uh, Catholic teaching speaks very clearly and strongly about the equality of men and women, and they're not seeing it in this particular resolution. Turning to another piece of news, again trending very heavily at ncregister.com, and, and this happened uh, on, uh, I think it was February 21st, but it, it, it really began to be uh, uh, trending on the Internet quite a bit, and that's uh, Cardinal Arthur Roach, who serves as the prefect for the Dicastery for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, issued a clarification, it's known as a rescript, uh, related to Pope Francis's uh, Modo Proprio Traditionis Custodes, and that's, of course, the uh, the document the, the that restricted the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, so what was clarified was actually something that was in the original, and that's directing bishops that they need to designate locations that are not parishes for the celebration of the Latin Mass. So the Latin Mass, traditional Latin Mass, shouldn't be taking place in a parish. Um, and then the other was that um, uh, newly ordained priest must ask Rome for permission to celebrate this Mass. So these were the two clarifications issued uh, in in recent weeks, and I know of one U.S. diocese that has been immediately affected, and that's the Diocese of Albany, which at the moment does not have a Latin Mass, uh, traditional Latin Mass that mm -hmm. uh, people can go to. Uh, they're trying to find a location that is not a parish that could um, celebrate that Mass uh, on a regular basis, but right now they don't have it. So that's important news. Um, another piece of very important news that um, many people are following is that ex-Cardinal McCarrick has asked for a dismissal of the sex abuse case against him, citing dementia. So he's now 92. Um, he's uh, been charged with three accounts of uh, assault, and now he is saying that he um, is not fit to appear in court. So Matthew, I don't want to end on that. I want to end on something positive. We've <laughs> yes. got American Catholics, uh, black Catholics who are on the road to sainthood. A quick uh, rundown of who they are. Well, that's right. There are six truly extraordinary uh, individuals. Uh, Henriette uh, DeLille, Venerable Augustus Tolton, Servant of God Julia Greeley, Venerable Pierre Toussaint, uh, Servant of God Mary Lang, and Servant of God Thea Bowman. All of them made rich and lasting contributions to American Catholicism, but also to the important legacy and lives of 
African-American Catholics in the United States, black Catholics in the U.S., which is a sometimes severely underreported history. The one that I'd really point out is Father Augustus Tolton, who's the first uh, recognized American black priest who was born a slave in Missouri, was ordained, faced a lot of racism and prejudice, and was absolutely firm in his fortitude and love to become a priest. He wanted to be a missionary, but they sent him back to the United States. Uh, and his extraordinary mission there, he died far too young, but he's just one of those uh, saints, I, I think, in the making uh, that we all need to get to know better. Absolutely, and I, I just couldn't end this show on something um, negative, and, and these saints are, are wonderful for us to meditate um, on in this, at this point in time. Our audience is loving it. Um, the, the two uh, stories that we did this week on black Catholic saints and, and the history of black Catholic religious orders are among those trending articles. I'm so very happy to see it. Um, we need the positive. Um, we need to keep our eyes on heaven um, and ask for the intercession of these saints. So thank you, Matthew, for this roundup in the editor's corner. And I invite our listeners to go to ncregister.com for more news and analysis. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. And until next week, I pray that God bless you.